So George picks up the point. I mean, this is one of the reasons Foucault would seem to be the um, archetypal theorist of the moment. Again, is also because one of his major contentions was that power had to be understood in different institutional contexts, so not just in terms of the exercise of power by um, the state app of centralized kind of sources of power, such as the state, um, but also understood in all sorts of different contexts, and not only factories such as as would be um, you know kind of uh, a kind of a Marxist a Marxist maneuver, but also in terms of the organization of prisons, the organizations of um, hospitals, the organizations of schools, um, all the different ways in which um, society was regimented, controlled, made hierarchical, manipulable, controllable, knowable, and all these other kind of um, things that power uh, achieves in the Foucauldian framework. And what's interesting about this book, or one of the many interesting things about it, um, I mean, so I have to say, like, I mean, so these series of lectures that were delivered at the Collège de France, which is where Foucault um, uh, ended up as a professor, they've only relatively recently been um, published in English. So his other works, more books rather than lecture series, have been available in English for a very long time and on the basis of his theoretical reputation in the academy. And I was, I have to say, I was very taken, I mean, with not only the um, fluency and cogency of the lectures, in many ways better to read than his actual kind of written books, but also how perceptive they were and how insightful and perspicacious in the context that he was writing, which is the 70s or delivering these lectures, seven, the 70s and 80s. And so much of what he's accounting for there in France, and like I say, not delivered in English, um, we can still see the long kind of overhang of it in terms of particular kinds of um, social behaviors, um, as well as uh, ideological outlooks right into the present. And that was, I found that remarkable. There's other kind of points on, on past, which he makes kind of on passant, which I think are also, you know, kind of genuinely fascinating and intriguing and worth thinking about more. For instance, making the point that the Nazis, the Nazi party, affected the withering away of the state in Germany mm. um, by establishing a separate center of power to existing state authority, which I don't think is right, but is kind of, um, you know, such a kind of a fascinating claim that it does merit thinking about and, more. And, and just to jump, on, just to jump in on that. In what it, the withering of the way of the state means. Yeah. Well, and just to jump in on that, I mean, that's relevant to the very first reading we did this year of Carl Schmitt. And indeed, in some ways, Carl Schmitt's um, breaking away from the Nazi party or to a certain extent, his regret um, of, for, for joining. It's not exa exactly entirely true, but um, how that, well, you know, that. but the basic idea yeah, it was that... Uh... That he that that basically the Nazis abandoned the state and the party came to be yeah. the kind of dominant figure and the kind of gangsterism associated with it and so on. And that was, I mean, that was one of the reasons that his opponents also, who had no reason, such as Otto Kirchheimer, who was a Weimar era legal theorist, who had no reason. I mean, I might might have mentioned this at the time, but who had no reason to be friendly towards Schmidt because they were implacably opposed to each other. But he made the point that this is what mean, meant that Schmidt wasn't really a Nazi because he was too dedicated to state power, whereas the Nazis were suspicious and hostile of it because they were more focused on the party. And the state elites were of a very different kind of breed to these thuggish brown shirts who came out of the gutter. 
Anyway, that aside, the idea that the Nazis oversaw a withering away of the state, I don't think it's right, but it's kind of an intriguing claim for anybody who's interested in the withering away of the state. Um, and then the other point, you know, he says about kind of um, neoliberalism itself is a diaspora politics. It's a politics of exile, and it mirrors the socialist and anarchist politics of the 19th century. So the same way that Bakunin, Marx, um, uh, you know, Garibaldi, Mazzini, all of these, um, theirs was a politics of exile in the 19th century. This was mirrored by those who had become neoliberals in the 20th century. Most obvious, most famously, notoriously, um, the Austrian neoliberal Hayek, who is um, uh, who uh, didn't return to Austria after the Nazis and exited in the 1930s and would kind of um, spend his time between uh, Britain, America, before he eventually returned to Germany. Anyway, the point is... Von Hayek, there are many, don't, don't declass him. It's uh, von Hayek. Many interesting... I know I know those vons are very important to Eurotrash like you, Alex. My apologies. Um, so anyway, Friedrich von Hayek. Is that okay? Is that acceptable, Alex? No, it just you said Hayek rather than von Hayek, and then it's oh my like, god, you know, okay, yeah. fine. You make Hayek. him you make him merely bourgeois rather than aristocratic in, in doing so, you know. So anyway, so the point being, there are many interesting, you know, kind of asides which make it um, a good read, you know. And there are many things we won't be able to talk about because what I do want to focus on is biopolitics for obvious reasons that I've already kind of outlined. So, um, however, it's a lecture series entitled Bio, about biopolitics, but ends up being about neoliberalism. And it's that which is in itself interesting and worth thinking through. Now for biopolitics, what Foucault meant by that was a politics that was focused on the level of the population. Um, and when kind of state power and authority becomes concerned with questions of um, public hygiene, of um, kind of rates of reproduction, of mortality, natality, all of these kinds of um, basic questions of, uh, of life, essentially. This is what he understood by biopolitics, and it comes into being with the rise of state authority over the 18th and 19th centuries and is kind of intertwined with the rise of liberalism. So that's what he understands by biopolitics in terms of its intellectual origins. But he ends up talking a lot about neoliberalism and he makes a claim about the difference between classical and neoliberalism. And I just wanted to talk a bit about that, about the changed historical context and the different accounts of the state um, between the two. So over to you guys. Tell us about the differences between classical and neoliberalism, at least according to Foucault. Well, I, I guess I, I wanted to pick up on one of your earlier points first, which is, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting because it, the, the book is called the birth of biopolitics and essentially the the chapters i.e., the lectures that, that we're looking at today you know he kind of overruns like this is the the point he, he's trying to like set up what you need to know in order to understand biopolitics and just i don't know it's kind of it reminds me of tristram shandy like this idea that he's trying to describe this birth but keeps on getting digressed there's digressions and it's you know just he can't he can't get to the point um and that isn't you know i think that's interesting in and of itself that he he takes he talks about neoliberalism when he's when he's his uh, sensible subject is um is biopolitics but yeah i mean the, the the chapters sort of set up this um this german versus american um distinction that's that's really the yeah the but before, of the core of before it. we get to that so what are the differences between classical and neoliberalism well i mean it, it's the, the idea is basically that you know the classical liberalism sought 
to solve, you know, wanted the market basically to be the delimitation of politics, of government, uh, and that they would inhabit separate spheres and that, you know, what uh, could be called like the life world or things basically beyond, beyond the market um, are left to their own devices or are governed by their own kind of forms or ideas, whereas, you know, the market is just the market and it's all about exchange, right? Um, whereas neoliberalism, uh, and, and Foucault has a kind of pithy way of saying this, is that whereas previously classical liberalism was about laissez-faire, basically that the state should not intervene and everything should leave room for the market to, you know, work according to its own self-equilibrating mechanisms, um, the, the, the neoliberal period is actually ne pas laissez-faire, you know, basically do not let, do not let, let you know, let be, um, because there needs to be an active pushing against any other governmental logic anywhere, um, rather than kind of government and market inhabiting delimited spheres. Um, yeah, the market needs to be made rather than uh, yes. simply allowed for. And, and, um, and, and in fact, and just to, to go a little bit further is this idea, because I referred to um, exchange, um, that exchange no longer becomes a central idea, but competition. And competition then is something that can be encouraged and stimulated. Yeah, so we'll come to that, yeah, because that's a bit more on, um, that comes a bit more later on from this basic thing. Hey there, you've reached the end of a short excerpt from an episode that's been released only to our patrons. If you'd like to join us and gain access to around two Patreon-exclusive episodes a month, please go to patreon.com slash We'd love to have you.